When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by the new Widow 180 course, Dating After Loss, a four-step wish program for widows and widowers looking to find love again. This is a one-of-a-kind program, a complete roadmap to help widows put themselves back out there in the dating scene. When we think about dating again after losing a spouse, so many emotions come up, so many fears, and we have no idea where to even start. We have to prepare our hearts and our minds for dating again. I will show you how to overcome all of the roadblocks that are stopping you. I'll show you where to find the good guys. I'll show you how to write the perfect online dating profile. We actually wrote some for you. And I'll show you how to present the best, most confident version of you to potential partners. If you've been out of the dating game for a while, you know a lot has changed. I want to show you the ins and outs of modern dating. If you're ready for love in your life again, I encourage you to check out the course. Go to www.widow180.com forward slash courses. That's www.widow180.com forward slash courses. It's your turn to have love and companionship and joy in your life again. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome my lovely guest this week, Karen Sutton. She's a widow and now widow coach, helping others navigate grief and loss. And today we're going to talk to her about some common widow struggles and get some help and some feedback from the expert. So thank you, Karen, for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, we usually get started and we kind of jump right in with um, how did you become a widow? Can you tell us what happened to Simon? Yeah, so it was just a a regular Sunday morning back in September 2016. And um, he got up to go out on a a bike ride with his friend, which he he did most weekends. Um, I couldn't believe he'd gone, actually, because we had a hangover from some some friends that we had over the night before. Um, But he got up and he went and I heard him kind of say goodbye to the kids downstairs whilst I remained in bed. And that was the last time we saw him he went on his bike ride and from the story I'm told I think he literally dropped down dead he he kind of pulled over and sort of said to his friend oh hang on a minute um and it, his friend kind of turned around and he just saw him collapse and he, he said the way he collapsed he knew something was really wrong because he obviously didn't go to protect himself so I, I think he he died literally on the bike and and, and fell um he, he had a heart attack he had um blocked arteries on on post-mortem and yeah th- th- 
you know, I was told by his friend, bless him, um, Mark, the guy he was cycling with, he, he came to the house and, and told me I was, I was hanging in the middle of hanging out the washing uh, yeah. of all things. And um, yeah, it was, oh, it's, it's just a moment in your life you don't expect and you never, ever forget, do you? Just that intense shock. So he was he was there with him. Did he? I mean, he had his a phone or something he could call and get help. Yeah. How? Did, okay. Yeah. They. I'm thinking yeah. a bike ride in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. How? That's oh. it. He was. He was in the middle of nowhere. But weirdly, there was a, a GP sort of driving past not long after he collapsed, who started CPR pretty much straight away. Um, Mark called for the ambulance. They turned up pretty quickly. Air ambulance got. They tried for an hour to resuscitate him, um, but they they didn't get anything back. You know, yeah. and and I think they tried for so long because you know Simon was forty three years old. He didn't have any sort of medical history. He's out on a bike ride. You know, um, yeah. so it, that that kind of what's, what's going on? You, you know, surely we can get him back, but they they couldn't, and they tried everything. Um, I know they tried everything. Yeah, and yeah, it wasn't. It just wasn't to be bless him he was 43 43 yeah he was 43 years old and and there were no we had no idea but you know he had a big job um he was very stressed the job he did have high blood pressure um which you know he's supposed to keep an eye on and go back to the doctors and you know like men they don't ever bother do they not all of them but <laughs> some yeah. of them. he never went back and and funny enough we were on holiday about three weeks before we were in France um in our caravan we went every, every year to France in our caravan and he he took his bike there because he loved cycling there was a group of them that used to go off and he came back from a couple of his bike rides not feeling great one of them in particular mm. he looked awful but he'd had a chest infection before we went and he came back and he said, you know, I feel awful. And he looked gray. And I said, are you all right? Uh, you know? Yeah. You know, that the gray lips and the gray face. And he said, I had really bad chest pains. I think it's, you know, it's the chest infection. Oh. You know, it's probably a sign um, in hindsight. Hindsight's yes. a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, yes. We didn't know then what we know now. So he kind of just carried on with the holiday. And, and it was probably an early warning sign. But yes. I know when you look back and you think, God, that was just this yeah. tiny little thing yeah. they said, or something was just yeah. a little off that day, but yeah. then you just brush it off and you don't yeah. even think about it. it. That happens yeah. all the time. That happens Doesn't all the happen. time. Yeah. And we can beat ourselves up about these things. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how old were your kids at that time? So at the time they were nine and five. Um Ugh. And it was weird, actually, because when I found out he died, I'd kind of instinctively wanted to protect them. I didn't want to tell them their dad had died. And obviously, I was trying to deal with the shock of it. <laughs> kind of, I was stood outside the house speaking to the police officers because I didn't want to invite them in. I didn't want that to be the overriding memory of it for the children of these strange police officers in the house. So I kind of went across the road to speak to them. And um, I said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell my children he's been in an accident. He's in hospital. I'm going to go and see him. And um, they were like, well, firstly, you can't see him because it's a Sunday and he's gone to the, the coroner's court office or, or whatever it is. And, and you can't go in on a Sunday. And I was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> I need to see him. I need to be with him. Yeah. And and secondly, you know, very rightly so. They said, don't lie to your children. 
you know, they're going to know something's wrong. They're going to know by the way you're being and that, that, you know, instinctively children know, tell them the truth. And, I, you know, his, I was a nurse and a midwife. I, I kind of know that we have to tell people the truth. We have to be honest. But that maternal instinct of I don't want to tell my children their dad's dead. How, how am I going to do that? So I've come up with all these like alternative ways I could manage the situation. But, you know, I didn't. I did go back in and I did tell them um, I had two very different reactions. You know, my eldest, Sydney, she, she burst into tears and was very, very upset. My youngest was just kind of like, oh, OK. <laughs> um, and, and kind of she ran off to get some of daddy's clothes to give to Sydney to, to kind of make her feel better. So, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, they do. They deal with it so differently, yes. don't they? um the police was the one that the police mm, they told you mm, not to lie they told you not to lie yeah brilliant advice brilliant advice it is at first thought that you're like I don't need to tell them I don't Mm. want to tell them so I'm not going to tell them (laughs) (laughs) I know I I know like what was I thinking it's funny isn't it you just go down (laughs) I did that too I'm like I'll put it off I'll put it off for a couple just a couple of days and I'll think about what I'm going to say I'm like yeah what, how do you know what you're supposed to do? You know, what's I, the right thing to do? Yeah, exactly. And, and exactly to your point, you just don't want to do it. So it's anything to avoid doing it, isn't it? Did you, so you did not get to see him? Well, I, I did eventually. So he went off on the Sunday and um, he then had his, he had his post-mortem on the Tuesday. They did say I could go and see him on the Monday, but the guy said to me, I would advise you don't because everything that they use to resuscitate him is still on him. And, you know, with uh, my nursing midwifery background, I kind of knew what that would look like. And I just thought, do you know what? Don't do that to yourself. You, you know, uh, um, it, it kind of killed me because I just wanted to see him. I needed to see him for it to be real. Like, you, you know, yes. it's just like, I can't, I, I don't understand. Um but I didn't. I waited and he had the postmortem on the Tuesday and the, the funeral director, directors were amazing. They went and picked him up as soon as they finished with the body. And I was able to go and see him at about four o'clock on the on the Tuesday afternoon. Oh, okay. And oh, even just talking about it gives me shivers. Um, yeah. I just remember kind of going to walk into the room and all I could see was his hand where obviously as I, as I walked into the room, his, his hand was one of the first bits of his skin that I saw. And I could just tell the grayness of it. And I remember just collapsing in my dad's arms, just kind of like, he's dead. He's actually dead. He's gray. I, you know, and I was like, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And and again, my dad was brilliant. And he just said, you can, you can, you know, you, you yeah. need to do this for yourself. And and I did. And, and I went for a number of days actually until I could tell he was changing a little bit, you know, and I thought I'm going to stop now because I don't want to yeah remember but it's hard isn't it because you know they're still there and you want to keep going to see them because they you know that you're gonna not be able to do that for for much longer and yeah like just knowing that they're there but they're not there and I want to see him but I can't see him because it's going to upset do you it's just all so I know. traumatic and upsetting when Brent was killed it was um so he had left on a Saturday night it was Saturday afternoon was the last time I saw him and I didn't get to see him until the following Friday. Wow. So it was almost a week. And God. when they told me I could finally go and see him, it was like, I popped out of bed like 6 a.m. I'm like, what time does the doors open? Like, I want to be in there. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was, it's so weird. It's yeah. such a weird feel. It was like, it was Christmas. And I'm like, I got to see him. I want to see him. I want to see him. Yeah, I know. But, 
but then it's horrific when you get there, you know? Yeah. It's really bizarre, isn't it? And you're right. It's it's that excitement almost, but then you, when you get there, it's, it's, oh, it's, yeah. How do you put that into words? I don't know, but it's so weird. (laughs) There's no words. It's just like, no words. You're just going through these weird emotions of like, Mm. yeah, I want to see him. I want to see him. And then it's, it's, it's horrible. Him dead. I want to see him alive. Yeah. So did you at that time, like, who did you turn to for support? I mean, going through all this stuff and, and the kids and what to say. And I mean, all of that, and you're trying to process your own emotions. So how did you, um, get through that part of it, the immediate aftermath and like, who did you turn to, to help you? I'm so lucky. I live in the town I was born in. My my parents still here. My sister, my my school friends of old, um, and we were literally picked up. I remember literally. I don't know. The first thing I did was call my mum after I found out. You know, I was on the drive talking to Mark, who just told me. And I remember phoning my mum, and I just said, I just slipped down the phone. Mum, Simon's dead. You need to come here now. I mean, again, my mum was like, "What?" Yeah, Um, and I was like, "Simon's dead, mum. You need to." And she was, and literally, she turned up. My sister turned up, and then my dad turned up. Um, and, and, and we were scooped up, you know, my brother-in-law took my kids off, um, because myself, my mum and my sister needed to go and tell my mother-in-law that her son had died. Um, and it really was, it was my family and my friends, um, just surrounded us with so much love and compassion and God, you need that, you know, like, as much as you feel incredibly alone and and you know I think I don't know if at the time maybe I recognized it for what it was you, you know maybe I didn't appreciate what it was doing for me in that moment I mean I did but I, th- I think coming out of it a little bit more and looking back and realizing oh my god that, that they literally saved my life do you, do you, you know it's like and and now you know you speak to people don't you and they they live away from family and friends and and, and they're alone and I just wow I'm, you know I just think that's hard that's really hard to be on your own you know away from family and friends because it's there it's it's, it's drawing on other people's strength you know and other people's wisdom that that gives you the strength to get through and and if you haven't got that that around you and you've got to go and find it um that that makes it even harder so you know I'd even now I still I sometimes look back and I just feel so lucky and so grateful to have the most amazing people around me because it just means the world in those moments it really does yes one thing that I've I've said before on the podcast is that like when I get those messages from other widows and they are alone and they just they're trying to do all of this alone mm-hmm. and I just can't imagine that pressure or stress you know of trying to trying to support yourself through all of this mm-hmm. you know um that's one thing that really gets to me is when, because I didn't have that. I had exactly what you had. Yeah. I had my family and my, you know, my brother and everybody's close and everybody was there to just help and lift me up, you know, 
I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would have done without them. It's exactly like yours situation, but, um, so what did you do? Did you do anything else as far as like reading or did you kind of throw yourself into journaling or anything outside of that, of, of the family to kind of help yourself with the emotions and, and the grief? I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you. How to get your life back together after loss, a 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, I have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10-step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. I did everything that <laughs> I would now advise my clients not to do. I did really, <laughs> yeah. I threw myself into dating. I went on big you holidays. Did? I took, yeah, took my kids to Lapland. I took the whole family to Spain. We went to Disney World. Mm. Um, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I just, I did everything I could really to try and escape the reality of my life and I didn't journal I didn't meditate I did start exercising um because about 50 of us did a a, a sponsored mud run for charity um but I was overweight I was drinking too much I was eating the wrong things I was distracting myself with spending and dating and just so no I I I really I didn't do you did things. things. They were just the wrong things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was me. That was my choice. Yes. yes. And uh, it, it took about two and a half years until I realized actually this strategy wasn't particularly working right. out for well <laughs> me. I was like, yeah, really overweight. You know, I've got a lot of mum guilt. And <clears throat> I remember I was saying to my daughter this morning, actually, I remember it. it it was one Sunday morning and the girls came into my bedroom and they said, Oh, what are we doing today, mummy? And I said, look, just go downstairs, go and get yourself some breakfast. I'm just going to stay in bed for a bit. I'd obviously been out the night before I was hungover. I didn't want to deal with the day. Um, and they said to me, mum, you never want to do anything. You're always hungover at the weekend. There's nothing to do. It's boring. Oh. And I was like, Oh, okay. oh like, this isn't cool. This isn't yeah. cool. You know, I, I did not want my children's memory of, of their childhood to be that their dad died and then their mum turned into this like drunken mess that just dated men and, and was hung over all the time. You know, and you're like, no, that's, <gasps> you're like, that's wake up call. Yeah, <laughs> wake up completely, call. completely, you know, and, and I just, I was expecting something to come along and, and save me and, and make everything better. I think like a lot of us do, I, I didn't, I didn't know anything about coaching and mindset and, and all the things that, you know, we had control over that we could do for ourselves. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't brilliant at the, at the whole grieving thing. <laughs> 
Well, that was my other question. I was about to, to ask you, like, what did you do for me time? Well, that was your me time. <laughs> that was my <laughs> me time. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'm on the, yeah. I just kind of went out. <laughs> drunk, dated guys. I made some very questionable choices, you, you know, um, right. and, and there was a point that I kind of gave myself a bit of a hard time for it. And then I thought, do you know what? you needed to do what you needed to do to get you through that, that time. And it wasn't all bad. You know, I did, I did learn to tow the caravan um, because that's what Simon did. And, and the girls and I went on caravan trips. We had some lovely holidays. We had some lovely moments together. Like I said, we went to Lapland. We went to Disney world. I did that on my own with them at Christmas one year again, because I couldn't cope with Christmas in the year. So I was like, right, let's just get away. Yeah. But it was lovely, you, you know, and, and we did have some really lovely moments. I was still surrounded by, amazing people um I decided not to go back to work so I kind of did have I wanted to invest that time in them I wanted to be there for them to give them that security and and I did do that but there were just times I I kind of lost my my way a little bit you know yes I want to go back to what you said about the holidays because Mm. I did the same thing I was like I don't want to be here for Christmas. And I don't want to be here for Thanksgiving. Those are, Mm. those are family events and I want to be doing something else. Let's go out. Let's do something fun. And and I feel like that's, I feel like that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, especially if it's just like, okay, for Christmas this year, maybe it's the first year Mm. you're like, you know what, we're going to do something different this year. Mm-hmm. maybe we'll come back to a family Christmas next year and we'll do all of the things, but I feel like, I feel like that's okay. <laughs> do you agree? Oh my goodness. <laughs> do you know what? A hundred percent. I just think it's too hard. It's just too hard. And, and I have always been a huge lover of Christmas. You, you know, I always went way overboard. Simon used to go mad at me. Like, what are you doing now? Um, and I loved it. And it's, it would start sort of middle of November. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It would just go on. And then he died and I was like, I don't love Christmas anymore. And I don't want to be here. I don't want to pretend. Um, I kind of, you have to a little bit, don't you? Because of the kids. Um, yeah. and, and that can be a good thing. But it is, it's heavy. And and sometimes you just go, do you know, I I just want, I want out. And, and when we went to Disney, we went, we kind of drove to the airport on Christmas night. So they still had Christmas Eve at home and they woke up Christmas morning to their stockings and we saw family in the day and then we went off. And, and, and so, you, you know, it's a bit of compromise. That's a good balance. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and it worked. It, it yes. worked and it worked well. But I think, you, you know, you, you've got to do what well, you've got to do, haven't you? Yeah. you? You know, and sometimes it's just too hard and it's too painful to sit in it. Yeah. I just did an interview last week. Was it last week? Yeah. Last week. And um, <clears throat> we were talking about how this is such a struggle for widowed moms is because, you know, we, we have to think about our kids we know that, but at the same time, we have to think about what is going to help us get through. So yeah. it's like, we are pulled in these two different directions sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like with the Christmas thing, you know, if that's, yeah. if you can't be in your house for Christmas and you, you know, it's too much on you as the mom, when do we, how, like, how do we make that choice? You know, yeah. what, what we're going to do, what are we going to put mm-hmm. first ourselves or the kids. Mm. It's tough. It's really, really hard. It's really hard. And, I, and I'm a big one for 
communication you know I think we underestimate children a lot and and I think we keep a lot from them and and you know it has to be age appropriate the communication you're having with them um but they're very perceptive kids they know they know stuff they know when you're not dealing with things well they know when you're finding it heavy and you're sad and and life's not going so great for you um they, they pick up on it and I think if we can tell them that we find things too difficult and, and, and what can we do to, to help ourselves through this? Because ultimately, you know, if you as a parent are struggling and finding things incredibly difficult, that's going to impact the, the, the children, isn't it? You know, and I'm not saying be selfish and please yourself all the time, but I definitely think there's compromises to be made where everyone's kind of needs are, are met. And I think, you know, if we can explain to our children what's going on and 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 kind of say we're just trying our best to, to make things good yeah. for, for everyone, they tend to be on board with that, you know. Yeah. Um, but it is hard. It's it's just this constant battle, isn't it? It's a constant battle <laughs> with these moral said, dilemmas. <laughs> you just said doing your best. Oh my gosh. And that just brings me back to like that first year um after Brent passed away and I had Claire and she was three. I can't even tell you how many times I, that was like my mantra was mm. mommy's doing her best. Mommy's mm. doing her best. And that's all we can do. Right. Mm. That was like mm. the thing that I would say <laughs> over and over. Uh, we're doing our best. Mommy's doing her best. And that, and that's all we can do is do our best. Yeah. Right. You know, like yeah. I would say those words, you just like brought me back to that yeah. because I feel like every day it was like, I was saying that and it was every day was some kind of other struggle or something. I mean, mm. oh man, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, saying to them, I don't, I don't understand this either. You, you, you know, like we're all in this place that none of us have, have kind of figured out yet. And I might not always get it right, you, you know, but yeah. I am doing my best and I'm just trying doing to make best. this as, as good as I can <laughs> for us under the circumstances and, and just owning that you don't know what you're doing either. You, you know, I think sometimes yeah. they look to us, don't they, for all the answers and it's okay to kind of go, I don't have I don't them. Know. I don't have them. I'm just figuring <laughs> this out <laughs> somehow. Well, tell us, when did you become a widow coach and how did that come into your life? Yeah. So I kind of said, didn't I? I spent two and a half years kind of floundering through through the grieving process and trying to figure out what I was going to do and realized actually that it wasn't really working for me what I was doing. And, And I mean, I was 39 when Simon died and I'd kind of come to realize actually a lot of you know, how I was living wasn't serving me. I was very much clinging onto the life I had and the person that I was. I was determined not to change. I remember saying to my friends, this isn't changing me. This isn't changing me. I'm going to stay exactly the same person, you know, because I was just so scared of change. So I clung on to everything and I just came to realize that, you know, this, this isn't working. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what I wanted. And, you know, and you speak to people, don't you? And they say, why don't you volunteer? Why don't you go and get a job? Why don't you go back to work? Why don't you go on another date with this guy? Why don't, you know, just all these ideas. And you're just like, no, no, none of it's really kind of working out for me. So one of my friends said, I know someone who's a, a life coach. I was like, Oh, what? <laughs> what's one of 
athletes. Yeah. And he was a life coach, but he kind of um, focused on health and fitness. And, and at the time I was 42 and I thought, do you know what? My husband died at 43 of a heart attack. I need to sort myself out. You know, I'm on my own with two children. This, I've got to, I've got to get a grip on things. So I invested in me. You know, I went along and I learned how to eat better, exercised, worked out, but my, my mindset, you, you know, worked on what was going on in my head and mm-hmm. creating that awareness around me and who I was and what I was doing and what made me feel good and what didn't make me feel good. And just spending some time focusing on me completely transformed my life. Within six months, everything looked completely different. And I just felt so much better. I felt lighter. I felt brighter. I felt inspired. I felt grateful. You, you know, just, and I thought, I, th- I need to kind of, I need to share this. I need to yeah. help other people see that it's not the end of your life. There is so much you can do for yourself to help yourself. It's not a magic answer. I was still sad and grieving and all that kind of stuff, but it did completely turn my life around. So I, I thought I'm going to become a coach. And I, I kind of, you know, I decided to just become a life coach because you know what it's like. You kind of, I can help everyone everywhere with everything. <laughs> um, and then I kind of thought, okay, maybe not everywhere. Maybe I'll just become a breakup and bereavement coach, you know, because mm. to help people go through all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then that transformed to grief and loss coach. And, and but I was just attracting widows because that's my story. That's what I do. That's what I've lived. And grief has become a passion of mine. I'm like, why are we so ill-equipped to deal with something that we are all almost definitely going to face in life? I know. Like what? Everyone. It's, it's like, it's, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no certainty in life. The, the, but one thing you can be certain of is that people are going to die. So why do we not talk about it more? Why are we not more equipped to deal with it? Why don't we understand it better? Like what is going on? I just, I don't I get it. You, you know, it just. Why is it, it a just, subject that is swept under the rug and yeah. not talked about? Yeah. Not talked about. Uh, why yeah. do we not understand it? Why do we not know how to support people better? Like, I, know. I mean, I know hundreds of thousands and millions of people out there <laughs> grieving and, 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 you know, grief as well as not even just, it's like living losses as well, isn't it? You know, relationships breaking up, financial mm-hmm. ruin, you know, losing jobs, homes, fires, or there's just, there's so much loss that people face and they're, they're all forms of grief and none of us know what to do with it. Yeah. And we box it up and we put it away and it's yeah. like, oh, okay, I'll just carry on this stiff upper lip kind of, I'm strong, you know, I'm not going to show weakness. It's all good. Um, anyway, so I, this, this has become a, a huge kind of passion of mine. And I just decided at the beginning of this year, I'm going to be the widow coach because that's who I am. That's what I do. That's who I attract. And, and actually it's my passion. I do help other people as well with other losses. You know, I help people with parent loss, sibling loss, child loss, but for Mm. the most part, it's, it's widows. I think it's finding someone that you resonate with, isn't it? And that you connect with. And and that's the most important thing. I always say to people, just go with whoever feels right for you, you know? Yes. Um, Because that's where you'll get the best results. Um, yes. And I love it. And I just, do you know what, Jen, I just love bringing people together, bringing widows together. I do group coaching programs and something magical happens when you bring people together that are in a similar place in life. 
and grief's very individual you know we will all have our own experiences of it we will all do it in different ways at different paces and that's absolutely fine but there are so many similarities and just normalizing what is going on for you you know when you say something and somebody else goes oh my god me too and you're like oh I'm not going yeah. mad <laughs> it's that relief kind of feeling isn't it? It's such yes. a weight because this the the grief is such a weight on you. Oh. And when you can be around other people that are mm. feeling that same way, it's yeah. like you feel that just like come off of you. Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. madness. It's absolute madness. And I mean, I love it because I have people all over the world, but I'd love to bring people together in communities. I think, you know, over in America, you have a lot more community support for, for widows. Um, it's it's a bit less over here there is there okay. is support out there there is peer support but you know sometimes I think a little bit of guidance um yeah. you know how to help yourself is, is what's needed because you know even I mean I'm not I'm not um putting down therapy of any kind it is brilliant and it is it has its place and I had it and it was perfect for what I needed at the time but I think there comes a point in your grief where you've had the therapy and you, you kind of have figured a few things out and then you're like, well, now what? Yeah. And it's that, that yes. people get stuck at. Yes. They're like, well, what now? Who am I? Where do I fit in? What do I want? What am I going to do? Yes. It's, it's those things. So you have said your wound is not your fault, but your healing is your responsibility. Mm. What do you think is the first step in that healing process? I think the first step in, in the healing process, I think, do you know what? I think it is really self-compassion. Mm, okay. Cause we give ourselves such a hard time over so much. We have huge expectations. We are so unrealistic with the, the pressure we put on ourselves, but we yeah. don't know that. We don't understand that because we're not taught it, you, you know, and we, we carry on with our lives as they were. We think we've got to go back to work full time. We've still got to be super mum. We've got to keep the house clean. We've got to cook healthy dinners from scratch. We've got to see everyone as we used to see them, be governor at the school, be the volunteer down at the local, you know, and it's like, yeah. and take on all the roles that your partner had in, in life because, you know, they all fall onto you now as well. Yeah. And, and, and grief is a full-time job, right? You know, and some with, without the days off or the sick pay or, or the annual yeah. leave, you know, it's, it is relentless and that there's no getting away from it. But we, we don't show ourselves any compassion in it we just beat ourselves up because we didn't do this and we didn't do that and we could have done it better and why haven't I achieved this day and I didn't even cook the kids did you know and yes. it's just this constant criticism and judgment on ourselves mm -hmm. and it just makes us feel horrendous and I think if the first thing you can do is show yourself some compassion some kindness some grace you know and yes. just <laughs> take a step back breathe and think about what you need in that moment you know regardless yeah. of everything that you're telling yourself you should be doing it's like what do I need what do I need right here and now and if we can tap into that I think that that it helps us hugely on our grieving journey Yes, it is. It's that word. It's expectations because it's not mm. just the expectations that we have on ourselves for doing everything, mm. but it's the perceived expectations just from everyone mm. that's watching you. Yeah. Yeah. They're watching you be mm. a widow. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's but, like, what do I do? What, what's the right <clears throat> thing to do here? Yeah. What should the, I yeah. be doing? <laughs> what should I be doing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's getting rid of that word should, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. What do you tell widows when they tell you that um, they feel guilty for laughing and for being happy and enjoying life or thinking of dating again? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. guilt is huge. So. Guilt is huge, and and it's 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 massive. It's you know it's it's a it's the main part of the work I do with people. You know, in in so many areas as well, and it takes a lot of unpacking and a lot of reframing and a lot of understanding. But I guess you know, for for here for now, you know, you are asking this question: the guilt of of rebuilding a life, finding joy, finding love again you know, and and beating yourself up for it. What's the alternative? Do you know Mm -hmm. that you live the rest of your life in misery, that you surround yourself with misery and go, I can't, I can't enjoy myself. I can't find love again because that means I'm being disloyal or I don't love him anymore. And, and and, And really in my mind, I think we should feel more guilty doing that than we should going out, having fun, finding love again because our person is dead and they would do absolutely anything to be back here and alive and be able to live life and have fun and joy and fulfillment and go out dating and make the best of it live the experiences you know and I think we can honor our person by doing that for them taking them with us you you know being the, the parts we love most about them learning from the things they taught us and going out and grabbing life and living it to the best of our ability. Because if I didn't do that for myself, for my kids, that would eat me up. I think, you know, if I was to live the rest of my life in misery, I think I would feel more guilty about that because that's not, that's not right. That's not fair. What, what purpose is that serving? Oh, I know. Mm. guilt is just one of those big things that keeps Mm. us stuck you know it keeps us it does but do you know what a lot of the time we are placing meaning on things and we're we're adding suffering to our to our grief with with the meaning that we're placing on it with as the way we're perceiving a situation and the stories that we're telling ourselves and that is where we're kind of layering our grief with more heaviness Mm-hmm. And it's, it's looking at those stories you're telling yourself. It's looking at the meaning that you're placing on something and going, that's, that, is that true? Is that 100% fact? If it's not, what other story, what other meaning can I put there in that place that gives me permission to do the things that, that allow me to, to live my life to the fullest, you, you know, still loving mm-hmm. my person, still honoring my person because it is 100% possible. It's hard for people that are in it, you know, they're like, they're in the guilt because they are not self-aware. Like they're just Mm. not aware that they're Mm -hmm. even doing it. So then it's like, how do you get them out of it? If they're not even really aware that they're in it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You have, you have to create that awareness. You have to ask the questions and you have to be 100% honest with yourself. You you know, you, you have to kind of own what you're doing in your head. And again, that's something people aren't necessarily always comfortable with, but unless you're aware of it, you can't change it. 
So right. you, you've kind of got to be honest in the first place about what you're doing that's causing you that discomfort. But yeah, it's yeah. not an easy process, but it's doable. Right. It's a tough one. Guilt is a tough mm, one. It is a tough one. Um, how do you suggest that we calm ourselves down when we get in those trigger moments? You know, like the trigger moments when you're walking through the grocery store and you hear your wedding song play mm. and you have the kids in the cart and then a cart full of groceries and you can't just leave, but you hear that song and you just start to break down. I mean, that's a trigger. How yeah. do you suggest that we kind of calm down in that situation? I think it's really hard actually, because I think um, we try and avoid our triggers um, because we don't want to be upset and we, we don't want to make a fool of ourselves and we don't want to cry and all that kind of good stuff. So we, we try to avoid them, but sometimes like you say, they catch us out, don't they? And like in a yeah. grocery store in the middle of the shopping and, and I, you know, a couple of times I've abandoned ship in the middle of a grocery <laughs> store because that song has come on and it just gets you, doesn't it? You, you yeah. know, you're like, and you're, you're trying to do the deep breaths. Oh, deep breathing. Yes. And <laughs> deep breaths, you know, calm, calm down your nervous system, <clears throat> really belly breathing. You're walking around and you're trying to think of something else you block it up your headphones in listen to something else but it's just there it's, it's here it's in your throat isn't it and mm-hmm. you can feel it and it's rising and you're fighting it um and sometimes you just have to let it out you, you know I think if you can get out of the situation you're in and let be what is then do that you, you know I think that the triggers are an invitation for us to tend to something that needs tending to you mm. know and it's not a bad thing. That's your grief. And it's showing up and, and you need to, to care for it and nurture it and, and let it do what it, it's got to do. But there are moments that, you know, you, you don't have that, that luxury. So it is the deep breaths trying to distract yourself and just saying, you, you know, I'm not ignoring you, you know, the feelings, I will come back to you later. I will go home later. I will put that song on at home and I will have a good cry and I will deal with you later. But right here and now I need to focus on, on this and whatever it is I'm doing. Doesn't yeah. always work, you know, but just telling yourself you're, you're not shoving it away. You're not trying to box it off. You're not ignoring what needs tending to. You just need a moment and I will come back to you later you know and making yes. that promise to yourself and sometimes that that can help you know and, and just trying to to take back that that power in the moment with the distraction yes breathing yes oh I like that okay so you just say mm-hmm. all right here you are I'm acknowledging mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. let's wait 30 minutes yeah <laughs> yeah when I yeah. get home <laughs> yeah just give me 30 minutes I promise I'll come back to you I'll yeah. come back to you and then you can go home and do your ugly crying it's all good yeah um, what do you suggest that widows do to handle the big anniversary dates? Like, what did you do? Yeah, that's, that's really what, like tough. the the first years coming along. That mm. for while well, we talked about the first Christmas and mm. you know, but the anniversary dates and things because those are always mm. all years years of that. Yeah. You know, they're hard days, aren't they? They're really hard days, and like you say, the first couple you've no idea what feels right and and what doesn't and and what you should do I always suggest to people you know for the the first one or or two is have a have a couple of different plans but but have them very loosely kind of in place and say to people you know if I want to go out and do something will you be that person for me if I if I want to stay in and just watch a movie will you come and do that with me if I want to be on my own 
can can you just be on call in case I need you you know and, yeah. and just seeing how you feel on the day sending out a message to whoever and just saying I think this is what I need but it's not setting things in stone because that's then what makes us feel trapped you know and you mm-hmm. plan especially if you plan to have everyone come around to your house you know to celebrate a birthday and then you wake up in the morning and it's like I just can't I just can't you you, you know you feel trapped in that and that that's even worse isn't it you just want yeah. to escape yeah so I tend to say like have things loosely planned have a couple of different options and then just see how you feel you know you might wake up in the morning and want to be on your own and you might want to go out in the afternoon and have a few beers with a friend it's it's just kind of asking people to be on hand to, to do whatever it is you think you're gonna want to do and some people want to mark the occasion in some way and 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 start things that they can continue doing year on year you know um I never did. I I didn't ever want to start something that if one year I couldn't do it, it would upset me and it would feel like I'd broken some kind of tradition, you know? Um, And I know Simon wasn't like that. He wasn't sort of big up on dates, you know, and his dad died. He didn't want to make a big thing of his dad's birthday or his dad's death day. He was like, you know, I just want to remember my dad because he lived and and I don't want to get hung up on dates I know and and I think that kind of rubbed off on me but then other people are going to have different ways of doing it and I think you just have to sometimes you have to try things to see how they feel Mm -hmm. um and sometimes doing something will bring you some peace some comfort some connection sometimes you'll do something you'll think yeah this isn't really giving me what I thought it would and that's okay too try something different you know it's it's a bit of trial and error I think isn't it you know figuring out what feels right and also to not think that you need to do anything mm, that exactly again it's that expectation yeah. are people yes. expecting you to have all of the family over yes. who cares yeah if you don't want to do yeah. it don't do it that's so true <laughs> you speak to so many people don't they they're like well, I've got to do it because they want <clears throat> me to and I'm like you haven't got no. to do anything no if they want to have a party let them throw a party you know you right. do you Oh, what, um, what are your thoughts on the advice that we all hear the advice? Don't make any big changes in the Mm. first year. What are your thoughts on that? Because again, it's the thing that's like, it's set in stone. Don't do anything in the first year. I am not a set in stone person, but (laughs) what are your thoughts on that? Do you know what? I think for some people, yeah, you, you know, it's the right advice for other people's it's not the, the right advice. You know, I've, I've spoken to many people that in the first year they've, they've upped and moved, they've sold the house and they bought somewhere different. And it has been 100% the right thing to do. They've left their big corporate career job because they can't cope with it anymore. You, you know, life has changed for them. They've yeah. moved, they've moved countries, you know, some people have left the country they're living in with their partner and gone to live in another one because they've got friends or family there or something. And I think, you have to just do what feels right for you. And I think we have to learn to trust ourselves. Mm. We all instinctively know what's right for us, but we lose our way because we just take on all of society's outdated beliefs, quite frankly. We take on all of our family and friends' ideals and, and thoughts on what we should do because their next door neighbor's brother's uncle did this and that really worked for him. So why yeah. didn't you do that? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know what? No. Listen, you, you, we have all the answers within us. We know exactly what we need, but we've just stopped listening to our bodies. We've stopped, you know, being in tune 
with what feels right for us. And if you want to do something big in the first year, because you know, you know that it's right for you and you're confident in that, do it. Yeah. You know, this is your journey. Do it your way. And, and you know, sometimes what's the worst thing that can happen if it's not right for you? Do, right. do, you know, like... Right. I don't know. Right. Go and get another job. Buy another house. I don't, I don't right, do you know what right. I mean? Like, just think about what is the worst? Because really, <clears throat> the worst thing has already happened. Somebody died and, and you're just trying to figure that out. So yeah. I, I kind of think trust in what feels right for you and nothing set in stone. There's no right or wrong way of doing it. Um, and, and, and go with, yeah, go with your instincts. Yeah, I totally agree. That's just one of those ones that gets thrown out. Like that's the first thing a lot of people say, don't make any big changes in the first year. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. well, not all the time. No. no. <laughs> and, and do you know what? Because I wanted to move. I, I kind of in, I think in the first six months, I was like, I need to move. I need to get out of this house. It was reminding mm. me too much of Simon. I could just see him walking in the front door all the time. Yeah. And people said to me, don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm glad they didn't. I'm still in the same house and I love it. It's my home. But if I had have moved... I would have dealt with it. Do you know what I mean? I kind yeah. of would have, I would have found my way. I'd have found somewhere I loved and and it yeah. probably would have been okay. It wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, but yeah. as it happened, it kind of worked out all right. So it, again, I guess I made the choice that was right for me in the end. Yes. <laughs> when did you take off your ring? I took my ring off. So Simon died in the September and the following may end of april we did the charity mud run that i mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. there was 50 of us we did this this 10k mud run to, to raise money for a, a child bereavement charity over here winston's wish and you couldn't wear jewelry on the run so i had to take mm-hmm. it off for the run and i just decided i'm not going to put it back on after that um mm-hmm. because i thought do you know what you've got to take it off to do this run in and I was quite in my thinking, you're not, you're not married anymore. I, I, I wear my engagement ring and my eternity ring on my right hand. And okay. my wedding ring is with Simon's <clears throat> wedding ring in, in a box in my bedroom, in my, in my memory box that I've got. Um, and that was right for me, you know, yeah. and, and some people were like, oh, you've taken it off, you, you, you know? And, but I was like, that, that's right. You know, it was my 40th in the April and my dad bought me a big chunky silver ring to wear on my left yeah. ring finger so, to, to replace it. So it didn't feel odd. And that was just, that was the right Aww. choice for me. That was kind of what, what I wanted to do, but equally, I know people want to wear their rings forever yeah. and that's okay too. Right. You, you know, yeah. I just, but I guess as well, cause I, maybe cause I was going out into the dating world quite early as I've mentioned oh, right. I think that, that there was that, that thought you know that I was kind of warming up to that idea at that point as well maybe thinking well if I'm thinking I, I want to maybe go on a date isn't that a bit weird if I'm still wearing my wedding ring <laughs> right I, yeah so I, I, <laughs> so I so I, I guess you know you know all, all those factors maybe kind of I just thought do you know what let's just and I like it I like that our wedding rings are together yeah in in the box that I've got in my bedroom with with some other stuff yeah that was right for me so your dating experience at first Mm. at first you did did you take a break from it and then come back to it or did was it about that two and a half year mark when you were like okay I need to stop for a minute let me just regroup (laughs) I'll come back to that 
that was at that that's point. exactly what happened so I I kind okay. of went into it I think I think I I kind of went on my first date probably in in the June time of of the following year okay um and you know I went on a few dates with a few people you know I dated a couple people for sort of four five six months um but it just never really felt right you know I, I didn't know I, I was grieving I didn't know what I wanted I didn't know what I was doing I just wanted a distraction and it it was hard. I, you know, people didn't know how to handle my grief and the fact that, you know, I still love Simon and that that was cool. It just became quite problematic. And just the whole online dating scene can be quite soul destroying. So I probably did it for about 18 months, maybe just over. Um, and after that period of time, it, it was, um, it, it was kind of the, the new year after we got back from Disney, actually. And I thought, you know what, I'm kind of done. I'm just done. I just, I, I kind of just want to focus on myself and the girls. And I just, I can't be doing with it. It was just messing with my head. It was making me feel insecure, rejected, not good. And, you know, all that stuff. Um, so I just thought I'm done. And I had a break, focused on me, got mm-hmm. myself together. And then I met someone very naturally through a friend of a friend. And we started dating and he was very different to the people that I had been kind of looking for, um, because okay. I always think what you what you think you want and what you need again are two very different things. But you don't always know what that is if you don't know who you are yeah. and where you're heading in life. How do you you know you don't make the right decisions then? But because I spent some time on me, you know, Andy came along and we've been together just just over two years now. Oh, um, nice. In yeah. he okay. Just, He's lovely. He's he's just fantastic with the children. Um, they are they are very accepting. It wasn't easy at first, you, you know. It was, and we split up for a bit. We had a, a, a moment in the middle where it was just, I, it just got too much, um, and we had a couple of months apart. But mm-hmm. again, because it's not easy. It's just not easy navigating a new relationship. Everyone seems to think, oh, you've met someone new. It's all all right now. But you've got to try and figure out how to love two people and and how does that work and can I tell Andy that I still love Simon do you know what I mean and is that cool does that is that weird how does he feel can I be honest can I be really honest and and I was in the end you you know and and I can be and and he accepts it and he's wonderful and and very inclusive of Simon in in the family and I've been very lucky I've been very very lucky um and he supports me in my life and, and what I want to do. Um, and, and that just means the world. And I yes. do feel very blessed, but it's another, it's another level of, of the grief and another sort of sort of path you've got to navigate your way through that you think might be quite easy. But I don't think it is. It's, it's, I know. It's a lot of hard work. It's very deceptive when you look at the Instagram pictures and it's like, it's yes. So- it's so perfect. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah. real. You know, <laughs> <clears throat> it is real. Yeah. It, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's a rocky road. It's and I feel sorry for Andy and, and guys trying to date a I, I can't imagine dating a widow is it's I mean, tough. women are complex creatures at the best of times. <laughs> God love us. Uh, you know, I hold my hand up and throw in a grieving widow into the mix. What what's going on? What am I dealing with here? Right. I don't know. <laughs> you <laughs> and need I to be a them. strong person. <laughs> you have, you have it, you know, it does, it, it really does take a, a very special someone. 
I think I yeah, do because it's, it it's not easy and why would anyone want to throw themselves into that I don't know <laughs> but they do but they do thank god thank god I know <laughs> I know oh yeah. I want to ask you because I know we're running out of time but have you um well you have your po- your podcast yes tell us about your podcast I just you started it? I'm yeah. so literally I think I've just recorded episode 12 so it's it's literally just been a few months I just awesome. again I, I love talking I'm not a natural writer I, I kind of get a bit frustrated with writing I love talking I love having conversations with people I, I love giving people access to honest authentic kind of talk around what they can do you know how they can help themselves what it's like how grief shows up what how they behave and you know just all the stuff and things we've discussed here that when you're thrown into that world of widowhood you don't you don't know you you know and you kind of keep all this stuff in you think I can't say this and I can't say that and it's like it's okay you're normal yeah you know that you're not on your own and I just and there's some fantastic widow podcasts out there, you, you know, from you guys like yours and and others that are, are over in the states. You've got um, well, there's three of you, isn't there? I think the main ones, but and they're brilliant. But there's nothing over here, yeah, for widows in in yeah. the UK. Um, so I thought, do you know what? Let's do it. Let's yeah, let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, and you guys got to listen to her. She's getting started. Aww. She's on. 12 episodes but this is just the beginning it's so fun right it's so fun I do I love it I absolutely love it and I've just called it the widow podcast it hasn't got a fancy name or anything but it just (laughs) it is what it says on the tin you know um but I do I and I just want to reach this is my passion I just want to reach as many people as I can in the best way that I can. And I, I know podcasts, I love them. I personally love them. I love listening to people's podcasts, you know. I'm totally addicted. It's, yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's, I, a, honestly, it's a problem for me. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? I'm like, I have the problem of which one do I listen to? There's just so many. <laughs> Not enough time in the day. So I'm just adding to people's problems, really, and more stuff to listen to. <laughs> so keep that up because we want more. <clears throat> oh. And tell us where we can find you and more about your programs, because you did say you did that. Do you do one-on-one coaching, but then you also do your group programs and do they run like every, like you do a two month set or how does, how does that work? Yes. So the one-to-one coaching obviously is for anyone at any time. And I, I do that in a six, six week, I say six week block, it's six sessions that you can take over, you know, a period of time that's, that works for you. Um, and then I have my six week group coaching program um, where we meet every week for six weeks for an hour and a half that there's usually between sort of seven and, and 10 people in, in a group. Oh, that's um, a nice size. That's a yeah, good group. So that yeah. People can, Not crazy big. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's nice for people to, you know, feel intimate. Like they can talk and share and it, it doesn't kind of get lost in, in the noise, you know, and I have yeah. people all over the world joining. It's really wonderful. Um, and we have a private Facebook group alongside it where we chat in between sessions oh, and, yeah. and work on things together. So, so that's lovely. Um, and I've also got a, a free um, Facebook page, Widows Rising, just a, okay. a, a, a free <laughs> space, I suppose, um, that is private, that is protected, that people can talk in um but also a space where it can be a bit positive as well you know that yes it hurts you you know you're going to have lows and downs and and you know it's days are going to be difficult but also the highs you you know grief is a mix 
It is a mm-hmm. mix. And, and in our grieving journeys, we have moments where we feel invincible. We feel just liberated and free and like, yes, you know, I, I can do anything because yeah. I'm amazing. And the, the highs are high, the lows are low, but you know, let's talk about the highs. Let's talk about let's the wins about and the achievements because there's so many, we're so focused on the lows and I get it because they hurt and they're yeah. lonely, but you know, I, I want to create a space where people can kind of talk about it all and, and, and find ways of helping themselves through that process. So I do that as well. I'm, I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, just mm. ventured into the world <clears throat> of TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm everywhere, really. And is it, so it's under Karen Sutton. Yeah, That's Karen Sutton, Widow okay. Coach. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. And your website? My website, that, yes, uh, karensutton.co.uk. Okay. All right. And I will put that link in the show notes so Brilliant. everybody can find her. And um, and I'll put that the Facebook group name and everything in there too, so we can find you. But Karen, this has been such a pleasure talking to you. I thank you so, so much for joining us today. Oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me. This, this has been, been such so great. a wonderful conversation. Thank you. This has been so great. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed this discussion of some common widow struggles and what to do about them. Here are the takeaways from Karen. Number one, Karen's husband died suddenly at the age of 43 while out on a bike ride. He had an unknown heart condition that caused him to have a heart attack. Number two, When talking to kids about hard subjects like death and grief, it's always best to be honest. As much as we feel a need to protect them, it's worse if we lie. Number three, Karen says she did everything she could to escape the reality of her life. She started dating immediately and drinking a lot and eating unhealthy foods. She said she did all of the wrong things, and she did that for almost two and a half years. Number four, Karen became a widow coach after realizing that she was trying to hold on to the past. She was trying to figure out what would fulfill her life and bring her joy and excite her. She said she chose to invest in herself and become a life coach. Number five, Karen says the first step in the healing process is self-compassion. And I totally agree with this because we give ourselves such a hard time and we are so unrealistic with our expectations of ourselves. So we need to stop the constant criticism on ourselves and judgment on ourselves. Number six, when we are triggered by certain things and thrown back into grief for even if it's just for a minute. We need to acknowledge the feelings and then come back to them later if it's a more convenient time. Number seven, on those big anniversary dates, you don't have to set any plans in stone. Have options, but very loosely planned and just see how you feel that day. Number eight, Karen started a podcast recently called The Widow Podcast, and you can find that on Spotify and Apple. Go and check it out. It's really good. She just got started. It's called The Widow Podcast. Number nine, 
Karen does one-on-one coaching and group coaching. You can find more information on her coaching packages at www.karensutton.co.uk. And she also has a free Facebook page called Widows Rising. So you can go and find her there on Facebook. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. It's Widow 180 Community. You can also follow us on Instagram at Widow 180 and get more information on our new dating course for widows at widow180.com forward slash courses. That's www.widow180.com forward slash courses. And be sure to share this episode and others with a friend if they need it. Until next week, believe in the possibilities. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community, on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, How to Get Your Life Back Together After Loss, a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.